Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. We got a lot to get through. This always happens. Yeah, you you got a lot to get through. I'll you know I I can eat an entire meal uh, <laughs> before I get to my first one. Um, no, it's yeah. This was what happened when when scheduling keeps us from being able to do movie journals for weeks at a time. Stuff yeah. piles up. That's why we say talk about what we've seen since the last time we did one of these it's been like three weeks so i've got i've got 19 movies to talk about um but i've i've bested my my goal of seeing a movie today a movie a day it's been 21 days but i've actually bested that because i have six movies that i watched that are in preparation for our next profile oh sure, sure because normally i'm an idiot and i wait until a week before our profile and try to cram 10 movies into a week. Yeah. Now, um, I, uh, we have almost a month to go before we record our profile and I feel like I'm ready. I might have time to rewatch something. We'll see. I, uh, now if I have officially, I have eight, but one of them is under embargo. So I will actually talk about it the next time we do a movie journal i know that you right. don't do that yeah but i don't hold it again you know, my rules are my rules yeah oh i don't hold it against me either like yeah. i cannot i don't see enough movies to not talk about <laughs> one of them on the movie journal i don't care if it's if the embargo lifts in three months uh i will talk about it then so. uh so well let me jump in with uh, one that i kind of teased at the end of the last movie journal because at the end of the last movie journal i had watched trey edward schultz krisha right and uh, it was for a thing I wrote for Film Independent, uh, comparing his the, the film that won him the John Cassavetes Award to his most recent film. So I rewatched Waves. I had seen Waves before, um, and sometimes, Tyler. Sometimes you know, it sucks that we. I mean, it's good. It's what we have made our bread and butter. But like. Our thing is that we watch a movie and then we have a reaction. I get on the movie journal, I say what I think, or I write a review and it gets posted Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. And then sometimes three years goes by and you watch the movie again and you're like, oh, I was so wrong. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Because now uh, I'm lucky that I didn't, I don't think I reviewed Waves when it came out, but I, I, all the, all I did was put a letterboxed rating of like two and a half stars on Waves. And then I revisited it uh, a few weeks ago and uh, it's fantastic. I don't know what I was thinking. I think I was like maybe just not willing to submit myself to it because it, it is a lot of big swings. It goes, you know, from it's nearly an hour longer than Krisha. It's, it's a, it's a massive, you know, two hour and 20 minute or something movie uh, two hour and 15 minute. I can't remember exactly, but um, it's a big movie that has, um, is sort of bifurcated. It, it like changes directions entirely, like two thirds of the way in. And then the last third of the movie is like a different story and, and uh, follows a different character. Uh, it also, um, in a way that I could see myself three years ago have, seeing as self conscious to show off, it changes aspect ratio 
all the time. <laughs> there are so many different aspect ratios, which I feel like uh, that's just something that has happened more and more as yeah. I think DCP has become the default um, uh, projection format. It's not like you don't have to have the right lenses on the projector or, or whatever, you know, you can have a movie that just is constantly changing aspect ratio. And, um, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's not a problem for anyone. So I think that's why it happens so much uh, more often now, but I probably found that show at the time, the, uh, camera that is like very active and very persistent and swooping and pushing and, um, all these things that, that maybe turned me off because I just wasn't in the right mood. I suddenly found them all being in service of this sense of desperation, longing for contact between these, these characters. The movie is about uh, Kevin Harrison jr. Plays a high school wrestling star who uh, his father, Sterling K Brown is a very demanding father you know can be yeah. supportive up to a point but um is also like demands perfection all the time you know when um when his parents his, his mother's played by um oh what's her name from hamilton uh renee elise goldberry or something like that um his parents go to see uh the, the main character go to see his one of his wrestling matches when he doesn't win the wrestling match Sterling K. Brown, the father stands up and leaves the gym. Like that's the kind of father he is. Um, and so you've got this, this poor kid who's dying to be uh, accepted. And, and, and so, so that, that the, the urgency of the filmmaking taps into how desperate he is and how that level of desperation can lead to someone making very bad decisions, which is, uh, w which is what happens. But, um, the, the movie also stars, um, Taylor Russell, uh, our favorite, um, from, uh, uh, escape room, <laughs> um, uh, Lucas Hedges, uh, is, is in it. There's, um, uh, so, and some of the cast members of, uh, Krisha, is escape uh, going to be our new ravenous? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and I, I think the thing that the movie, the two movies have in common, which you can read my thing at filmindependent.com about Trey Edward Schultz. This is what I talk about, what the two movies have in common. They're very different, very similar in uh, some ways and different other ways. Um, but the idea of someone a family not working the way it's quote unquote supposed to, and someone either trying to make that family happen or, and I think the way the waves becomes more hopeful by the end, looking for connections outside of the family. Sometimes if your family is not giving you the love and support that you need, you have to find it elsewhere. Um, and, and I think waves becomes kind of hopeful in, in that way, but, uh, yeah, really fantastic. And again, go to filmindependent.com and read my piece about Trey Edward Schultz. Um, God, I watched some of these so long ago. I mean, I watched, yeah, I'm talking about them in chronolo chronological order. So I, I don't have much to say about my next movie, which is uh, directed by Jessica Bashir is called Faya Dai. It's a, um, uh, a, documentary that's not um really narratively focused it's about um 
life in Ethiopia, Ethiopia, particularly in the way that for like these poor um, rural folks, it revolves around, I don't even know how I say it, cat or cot. Do you know about the, the plant that like a lot of um, African nations, um, I know in Somalia, it's, that's what I first heard about was when I read the book Black Hawk Down, but it's a, it's a plant that's like a stimulant that okay. people chew. It's like, I guess, like someone would their morning coffee, they chew it uh, as, a, as a pick-me-up, but also it's way more addictive. I mean, coffee's addictive too, but it's it's way more addictive and and uh, becomes um, it's very habit forming. And uh, but also the that also means it's an industry. So people's lives in this movie in this documentary are dominated by cot, um, both because many of them are addicted to it and because they work in cultivating it and packaging it and and, and shipping it and selling it and stuff. Uh, so it, the, the movie is very, uh, shot in beautiful black and white. It's definitely much more about the beautiful black and white. Uh, I think than, than anything else, it's not like there aren't really a lot of like characters you get to know. I mean, there are some, I guess, but it's, it's a, it's a, I guess I'm dancing around the term, like experimental documentary. Cause I don't really know what that means, but I, that maybe does get across what this is um that it just hangs out with with these people but does i think a good job of of giving us a portrait of a life that goes in in circles um uh which which a lot of people lead uh, a lot of poor people and not in ethiopia all over the world you know you 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 lead this this life that uh no matter how hard you work it just takes you back you know all it does is keep you treading water uh and that's kind of what it what it what it feels like so it's a very beautiful very sad documentary faya dai i think it's on the criterion channel right now um that's how they don't get too complacent because my next movie is one that you've seen okay it's michael sarnowski's pig well first off sarnowski i'm not i'm not complacent you know to uh, you tune me out though is what What i'm saying you tune me. <laughs> Good one. Hey. Um, uh, yeah, but I feel like I've I talked about it. I think I saw it last time, uh, so people already know my take on it. Um, what uh, What did you think? Uh, I I found it kind of boring hmm. and um, a little too insistent upon its own profundity. I could see that. I think um, it. There's. A couple of good scenes. The scene that you were talking about when he goes to the restaurant that is now like run by a chef who used to work under him when he was a chef yeah. and has uh, um, has that conversation. I love that scene. I know like Nicolas Cage is getting so many accolades for his performance here, yeah. but uh, and I, and I don't even remember the name of the guy who's only in that one scene. He's But he's fantastic in that one scene. Yeah. And isn't it, and I think that's, I, I know a lot of, I was talking with someone uh, today about the movie and, and that was his favorite scene as well. I do think that's the scene that really establishes yeah. what pig is um, because yeah. that guy is just as like nervous and existentially terrified as someone 
with a gun in their face, you know, right. and that's and that's such a neat idea. But I, I would agree with you. I'm I'm OK with sort of the the tone of the film, but I do think that it is. Pleased with itself sounds a little bit a little bit light, but um, it, it the idea of, as you say, like insisting on its uh profundity i believe is the the phrase used um i think i would probably agree with that um but for some reason it didn't it didn't bother me i think because i liked what it was doing so much yeah i I think there's you you uh i can't remember if you you didn't say it just now but last time you definitely talked about john wick um and i think john wick does something that pig is not able to pull off which is imagine a slightly alternate version of our world or in some ways very alternate version um some of the stuff i think about the the sort of like underground world of chefs and and waiters and suppliers and procurers of of food um is is kind of ridiculous uh okay i just found the actor okay his name's david nell okay and uh here's an okay i know sometimes you can't see my phone ah oh adjust it's very i'm trying no i'm trying i'm telling the phone to uh uh, oh man uh, i can see it when it's at an angle but anyway well this is a, a a shot of him he's the tech uh and in total recall who like helps uh, uh when he was much younger he's like the nerdy tech who, oh, wow. uh, who, who hooks up uh, arnold schwarzenegger in the big like machine oh he's been around a while he must have been very young at that at that point uh yeah i, I guess. don't think of him as a i guess he's an i see here he's born in 61 so i guess he's yeah he's 60 now so i guess he was he was uh you know a full-on adult yeah at the time uh all right, so I, I don't know. I I, li- I like this this cast, but um, Pig just I guess didn't do it for me. Yeah. Uh, you're up then. Oh, oh, okay. Um, so I uh, watched a movie that I have to review it for the site because that's how I saw it. Is the okay. publicist sent it to me, um, and I was I wouldn't say intrigued, curious. Um, it is uh, Alessio De, De La Valle, De La Valle. I don't know how you say it. I Italian, I would assume. Um, uh, the film is called American Night, uh, Night not with a K, and it stars Jonathan Rhys Meyers and Emil Hirsch, uh, Jeremy Piven's in there, Paz Vega, um, Michael Madsen isn't. It has been a, a little while since I saw it, um, and. I some of the imagery that I saw from from the film, like so, including frankly the the poster. I know that that you can't judge a movie by its poster. But I was like, okay, if this is how they're presenting the movie, I'm I'm I am curious. Um, and so I I watched it, and I think it's currently available. I want to say Hulu. It might be Amazon. I don't remember exactly. Um, but uh, it's terrible. It's it is uh, just. I should have known. But boy, it was just awful. Um, and what's more, it's, it's awful in a way that if you were to say that this movie and the movie Jolt, which you may recall I hated, yeah. uh, if you were to tell me they were in the same cinematic universe, I would believe you. Um, because they both are, it's 
it's just so interesting that even after all these years, there are still directors trying to capture that 90s specific Tarantino feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I would say I would say to a, a, a lesser extent, uh, late 90s, early 2000s Guy Ritchie um, in their sensibility, in the character types and in just this. I Man, it's the kind of thing you, you come to realize, like how how difficult it actually is to do what the what what those guys were doing. And I do think the guy, Richie, like, you know, I don't think he's I don't think he's a great filmmaker um, now, but I do think like Lockstock was pretty solid. There's a lot of stuff about Snatch I enjoy. Um, but you see something like Pulp Fiction. And even though you can certainly see a lot of the strings being pulled, it, it has such an effortless quality to it. Whereas here, it's just like, hey, let's let's blend um, violence and uh, philosophizing and comedy. Let's do all this stuff like Tarantino did and just pushing all the wrong buttons or, or like all the all the levels are at the wrong uh, are just completely wrong. Um, despite, you know, some committed performances, specifically, I'd say by Emil Hirsch as the the uh, he's like the son of a New York mobster. Uh, like mob boss and the boss has died and this son um, always sort of fancied himself an artist and that was what he wanted to do. But now suddenly he's in charge of this family. So he's sort of, again, he's this in between where he's a, he's a complete psychopath who still really aspires to be an artist and all that. But the way he creates art is really, you know, really stupid and, and violent and, Emil Hirsch does what he can with the character, but there's just it, the whole thing is just such a, a waste of time. Just go and watch. Just go and watch Pulp Fiction and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels again. And you got it. Uh, this and it's and certainly the film is not helped by, you know, the presence of Jeremy Piven, who it feels like he should be in this movie. Um, it feels <laughs> like very appropriate casting. Uh, I believe it is the director's uh, first feature film i'm not sure if that's i think that's right um i uh because i'm a jerk um over at more than one lesson i have a writer named uh bob Connolly, and he mostly just like whatever he sees if he wants to write about it like i'll I'll post it on the site but every once in a while i'll throw something to him and say hey i got this online because he he doesn't live in la so like i try to give him Hmm. screeners where i can and i'm like hey i got this screener for this movie you want to watch it he goes yeah sure and uh, he did not care for it. Uh, but the thing that he said, he just said, like, everything about this movie just suggests that the director has a lot of money and thought he'd give this a shot or he is somebody's nephew. Right. Uh, you know, and and managed to scrape together enough money to attract these actors. But, um, yeah, it really is. Uh, fr- frustratingly bad. Okay. Uh, speaking of, I guess, frustratingly bad, uh, I watched the new film by Michelle Franco. It's called Sundown. Okay. Th- there was a time. There was a time that I liked Michelle Franco. I liked uh, After Lucia, and I liked April's Daughter, um, or April's Daughters. I can't remember if it's plural or not. But uh, in 2020. He made a film called New Order that I hated. And now I wonder, and then I watched Sundown. I was like, maybe this would 
redeem him and I didn't like it. Now I wonder if, if I went back and watched his earlier films, would I now not like them? Did new order kind of like cause the scales to fall from my eyes in, in a way? Uh, mm-hmm. because sundown seems like something I should like, uh, stars Tim Roth and Charlotte Gainsbourg, mostly Tim Roth. Um, it's, uh, uh, along with, uh, Bergman Island. It's part of the 2021 double feature of Tim Roth on vacation. <laughs> uh, but here he played, uh, he and Charlotte Gainsburg are a, from a wealthy family and they're vacationing in Acapulco. And then she has to go back, uh, with her kids and he decides to stay. Uh, and basically it's a, I feel like this is a subgenre uh, unto itself. Um, maybe with like lost in translation and stuff. It's just like, uh, people depressed on vacation. <laughs> uh, so you realize he st- decides to stay not because he loves Acapulco and wants to soak in the sun. It's because he hates himself and does not want to return to want to return to his life. He mostly just wants to drop out of, um, of his entire life. And so he just spends some time hanging around on the beach and things. There's, these bad things happen. There's bursts of, of, uh, of violence. Uh, but I, I feel like it's supposed to be a portrait of sadness, but it weirdly kind of felt to me like a kind of mid- midlife crisis, wish fulfillment in a way, sure, sure. which I don't think it like, it's not, it's insisting like, no, this is bad. This is sad, but also it feels like it's enjoying indulging in it a little sure. bit. I feel like, the way that the way that Michel Franco tends to put his characters first off the segments of society from which his characters tend to hail and the way he puts them through the ringer makes him feel like he wants to be like a Michaela Hanukkah. Okay. But I don't think he is ruthless enough. I, I think he's, um, he's, he's, I use the word indulgent. I think he indulges his characters too much to fully, uh, uh, condemn them or, 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 uh, punish them the way that, that, uh, Hanukkah does. Um, so yeah, sundown nicely shot movie. Um, Mm. I, I, I think it's vision of a place like Acapulco of being like, like truly a paradisical part of the world world. If that's a word, I don't know if it is. Um, but also it's being completely choked by by tourism and, and and the commerce of catering to tourism at the same time and so that i think that um that juxtaposition is nice in the in the movie's visual treatment but i still felt like the character uh was it just felt masturbatory i guess okay. um moving on to a 1962 film that has recently been restored and i um reviewed a screener file of it screener link uh, and you can find my review at battleshipretention.com uh 1962 film called the olive trees of justice or les Olivier de la justice according to letterboxd uh directed by james blue it's his only non uh james blue is an american the movie takes place in algiers algiers um it's, but it's the only non-documentary that James Blue ever made. And apparently the way he got to make 
a film in Algiers in the middle of the Algerian war uh, was by claiming he was making a documentary about Algiers wine industry. <laughs> um, but really the, the story is that the, the main character who, who is, he was born and raised in Algiers. And so is an Algerian in that sense, but he is not an ethnic Algerian. He's French. He's, he's basically like, I mean, imagine like a, I mean, it's a, it's like a, they're like colonizers. So he's like the son of a colonizer who was born in the colony. If that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So he's returning to Algiers um, because his father is near the end of his life. Uh, but he's also re returning at a time that being that his idea of himself as an Algerian is not, um, doesn't jibe with the current <laughs> affairs and, and politics. You know, the Algerians are, um, revolting against the 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 french uh, at, at this time fighting for their independence but it's also not a, like there's war stuff that's happening off in the distance but also at the same time he's greeted by his old algerian friends it's it, he's in this weird you know neither fish nor fowl type of place right uh here and the movie is told so the, that's the main story is he's coming back to help like to spend his father's last days with him and also help put the, um, the affair, the wine, they actually do grow wine, wine grapes, um, uh, put all that, all that in order. But then the movie keeps flashing back to his childhood in Algiers. And it's really interesting how idyllic it seems at first. And then the longer that he spends in 1962 as a Frenchman in, in Algeria, um, he, uh, that the the reality tends to starts to creep into his memories where like it's it's you can see you you can almost feel the film through his eyes trying to hold on to this ideal of his childhood and this you know this pastoral childhood where he ran around with the local boys or whatever but these memories of his father like his father's like treatment of the algerian workers like they start to creep in uh, uh to the uh his memories it's a um, uh really fantastic um uh movie you can you can read my my review uh and it's certainly worth having been restored and, and saving because it's the only French film that was made in Algeria during the war, you know, that wasn't, I'm not talking about there's like the battle of Algiers, obviously yeah. it's not a documentary. Like it's, it's a, a, it's, it's a fascinating document of, of the time. Um, all right. If I did my math right, I should have one more. Yeah. Yes. Um, I watched, I can't remember if you've seen this or not, but our friend Scott called it the most underrated or overrated film of the year. Okay. James Wan's malignant. Uh, no, I did not see that. Okay. And once um, again, I, it always, it astonished me that he said that because there are a lot of people that really hated it. Like a lot of people. It, it's got a lukewarm reception. So I, I'm yeah. not sure what, uh, um, I mean, I guess we're all in our own, uh, bubbles a little bit, but sure. I, I feel like I definitely saw a lot of the people I follow on Twitter liked this movies. Um, so I did go in with my hopes up. I've liked James Wan's movies before. Um, and uh, I can't, I guess I kind of feel like it's, it's fine. I don't know. I think I'd been maybe oversold how like crazy the right. movie is. Um, 
it is and it definitely has some really fantastic like um i guess you call it stunt work or or like the type of thing that Doug, Doug Jones does like creature like mm-hmm. work like actual like an actor walking in a non-human way and moving in a non-human way is really fantastic um but i i i guess i was kind of uh let down maybe a little bit by i wanted it to be more of a horror movie and as it goes on it becomes like a it still has a lot of gore and it's supernatural but it's really kind of an action movie by the end mm. um and i uh, that that started to feel a little samey i don't know i didn't hate it it's uh it's it's fine it's definitely fine it has one problem i'll talk about it's got two or three different ladies in this movie who look too much alike tyler <laughs> okay like there was there's a whole scene where there's a woman on, on purpose you think well, yes. In re- now that I know the whole thing, I realized that two okay. of these ladies are supposed to look alike. Okay. But it was a problem because, like, we get to a scene where what I thought was our main character is like at her job and then gets captured by the 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 monster of the movie and is like held hostage in the monster's like lair. And then it cuts to what I think is her again, just like going about her life. And I was like wait a second, how'd she get out of that? She was tied to the wall last time I saw her. And then I realized, oh, that was an entirely different lady. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that other person that we saw at her job, that was that character's like introduction scene. But she looks too much like the main character to where I was confused as to uh, how'd, how'd she get out? How'd she get away from that monster? Is what I was thinking. <laughs> I always enjoy when you sound like like an old person, like, like an older person who doesn't watch movies like, Who's that? Oh, that's yeah. the same lady. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely a film because I had heard, and this is where I, well, I, I sound like a jerk most of the time, but here's where I'm going to sound like a jerk again. Because I also heard that Malignant was crazy and people were like, this thing is bad shit. But the people that I heard saying that, I was like, okay. People are saying this the same way that people said that, like, I've never seen a villain like the Joker in the Dark Knight. I'm like, okay. okay. Yeah. Like, eh. my guess is you don't see that. It's not even, you don't see that many movies, but you just, you see sort of what is just the norm, like the regular mainstream stuff, in which case, like, any kind of craziness is like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Uh, and so, that was the vibe I got based on how pe- how certain people were talking about it. And then the fact that you say now, like, you wish it were more horror. You'd heard about how crazy it was and it didn't seem that crazy. It's like, yeah, that's about what I thought. And so I mean, it actually, is kind of crazy. It's kind of. OK, OK. But yeah, I guess I, I wanted it to be scarier. I, um, I feel like maybe it's too aware that it's crazy, if that makes sense. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Yeah, anyway, uh, to, to the next. degree that it's just like almost as though the film is saying, like, can you believe this shit? Is it quite to that extent? I mean, there are, there are a couple of shots, yeah, where, where, um, where maybe it was like, oh, wait for this reveal, <laughs> but, um, but like, I, I guess I couldn't, I can't help but compare it to a movie like, oh, I, okay, 
on the last movie journal, maybe two ago, I was talking about the French film, which I called Titan. I've yeah. heard from a French speaking listener. It's more like Titan, Titan. Okay. Titan. Anyway, I can't have a comparative movie like that, which is nuts, sure. knows it's nuts and still manages to shock and surprise and uh, upset me at almost every turn. Uh-huh. And like malignant is w- way more safe than that. Okay. Um, so my, so I, 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 some of these movies are not going to be a surprise for people that listened to the last episode. Cause I, I talked about movies that I watched, uh, on a plane and it right. occurs to me like, you know, I come down hard on myself for not watching enough movies. I do have to remind myself that I was out of town for a funeral for, uh, a good, you know, like I think four day, four or five days. And then I came back and Jen stayed behind. So I was just watching the kids by myself. It's like, all right. Yeah, I didn't have a lot of time, so I'm I'm letting myself slightly off the hook, but only slightly. But okay, but you're also the only one putting yourself on that hook. No one is judging you except for yourself. Well, yeah, uh, no, it's I know. But also, just... like the thing that I'm telling you is something that Natalie tells me multiple times a week. You know, if I'm like behind on like posting movie reviews, yeah. and she's yeah. like, no, no one's cracking the whip or standing over your head making sure you get this done. you're the only person who is so i get it i get it i do think that like just if you're gonna put yourself out there as a critic as i do sort of um and yet you don't seem to be watching many movies i just i'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop by the way the first one has never dropped uh yeah. <laughs> which is someone to say like oh so he really is a fraud okay got it um but uh but yeah that's not an uncommon thing amongst uh people that talk about movies like that fraud uh, yeah what is it imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome uh, yeah. but yeah so i will mention uh that i saw sean levy's free guy um starring ryan reynolds among many others and i had heard very good things about it and i was i was kind of excited to see it and ryan reynolds i think is, okay I, i'm getting the impression between you hearing bad things about malignant and good things about free guy. Yeah. You and I talk to different people. I think. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's one of the reasons I wanted to be more of a, like more a part of film Twitter at the very least, like, you know, following it, even if I'm not really participating. That was one um, of our, um, one of your new resolutions, which you yeah. can hear if you uh, subscribe at uh, patreon.com slash battleship retention. And I'm another one was to like, uh, maybe this is one I didn't say, but like to just read more film criticism. And I've started reading a, a book of uh, uh, a collection of uh, writings by James Agee. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I can, All right. but except seeing movies, um, <laughs> but that's all right. So, uh, okay. But yeah. So free guy. Um, I do. I enjoy Ryan Reynolds and I like a lot of the people involved in the film. And I think that Sean Levy is a capable director. He's a full on, total journeyman um but he 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 has a pretty good sense of how to juggle elements in a way that is at least that you can follow it and and it's satisfying um and so the story is that ryan reynolds is a background non-playable character in a video game and doesn't know it but then becomes sort of self-aware uh and not sorry he doesn't become self-aware he doesn't know he's in a video game but he does sort of break out of his role um and starts doing other things and it's a game that people can play online. So everybody's, you know, tuned into this world and they're seeing this random guy walk around and do things that are kind of strange. Um, 
and in, and then we also cut to the real world where like Joe Keery um, and uh, Jody Comer and Taika Waititi like are all uh, working at the company that puts out the video game, trying to figure out what happened here. So it's like it's not it's not a bad premise, and I would say the execution of the video game part is is a lot of fun. Um, I think the last I think eventually they have too many things going on. And I think the last 20 minutes is just like full on overkill. Just everything gets so big. And there are so many things that ha- that are happening at once that I just found myself kind of kind of tuning out. And I think it's partially because we shifted. And this happens with Sean Levy films. Is it Sean Levy or Levy? I don't remember. I don't know. I, I, w- I would say Levy, but I think that's probably because I say Eugene Levy. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. why, even though I don't think they're, they're not related as far as I know. Yeah. Um, so, and this is something that happens with him and is that like pretty good premise with, with characters and actors that I like, but eventually as the plot starts to like wrap up, uh, character stuff tends to be minimized in favor of big action and all that. And I, that I don't necessarily have a problem with like a, a huge climax, um, I just feel like the characters, it's not even that they get lost uh, so much as, as it is like the reason that I was watching wasn't actually the action. It was to watch this guy respond to things. Um, and so the, I do think that the film starts to lose me in the last 20 minutes, but up until that point, I was, I was enjoying it quite a bit. And it, there's a lot, if you watch it, like there's a lot of Truman show in there, um, except oh. that here it's instead of the guy who's the lead, it's a supporting guy, but everyone's sort of filling their roles and all the other non-playable characters, like running through the same routine over and over again. And there, there are moments that I laughed out loud based purely on the way Ryan Reynolds reads a line. Um, and that's, that's really worth noting. Um, so it's a film that I think by and large, I would recommend, but it's not a, you know, it's not a perfect film by any stretch. Uh, looking at, okay. I have seen exactly one, Sean Levy film mm-hmm. can, without looking at his filmography. Can you take a guess? What is the one Sean Levy or Levy film that I have seen? I think I know. And I think it's real steel, real steel. Yeah. Yes. A movie that I liked be- better than you, but uh, I liked it more than, than you. I think they both work. Okay. Um, <laughs> see, I like the idea that you liked it, but I liked it better the way you did I liked a better it. Job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, which I guess is probably true, but I didn't really like it that much, but I liked it more than you did. Uh, all right. Um, from a free guy to a hero, oh, <laughs> I watched the new Ascar Farhadi film and uh, Ascar Farhadi back on track after right. everybody knows, uh, which was weak and lame. Uh, a, a hero, um, once again, has it, it finds him working in that this this mode of uh, sort of just incident piling on one on, on top of it, itself and things, things, people getting in over the head and things feeling inevitable. Um, things happening to a person makes one decision once. And then the rest of the movie is things happening to that person. It's very much similar, very, very similar to, to a separation. Um, in that way this uh, uh here is a movie about a uh um a guy who's 
down on his luck who does a decent thing. Not even like the, the title of hero is kind of overblown, but that's what happens to him. He does a decent thing. Mm-hmm. Not like he's not, you know, rescuing people from drowning or anything like right. that. He just like does the right thing. Mm-hmm. It gets way blown out of proportion and uh, everyone starts to take advantage of him and it uh, blows back on him. And, and you, uh, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tragedy. Um, I think that's almost like, like I mentioned, these incidents pile up. It's almost comic, but it's not, it's very upsetting, but um, it, I, it's, I think it's my favorite Fahadi film since the separation mm. uh, because I think it, it really works at exposing the way that it's interesting. I, 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 I wonder when this movie was conceived of or when the title was conceived of, mm. because you think about since the pandemic started, how often we've talked about people that are not very well paid and right. uh, are, are not very well treated as heroes. Like right. they're, they're heroes for, for, you know, going to work every day, not that they have the option, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and so I do think the movie uses that idea of turning someone into a hero as a way to illustrate the way that societies sort of lie to themselves about themselves to allow themselves to believe that the society is functioning correctly. Um, and I think that's really what, what a hero, uh, gets at. And, um, oh, it sounds great. it's, it's, it's really great. Um, I mean, it's on, uh, it's on prime. I hate to like oh, chill okay. for prime, but I'm pretty sure you have prime. That's why I mentioned. I do. Yeah. That's very, yeah. that's, it's helpful to know. Um, speaking of things that are streaming on major streaming services and that things that this one is one you've seen, oh, okay. uh, I finally caught up with Steven Soderbergh's no sudden move. Oh, all right. Um, and I, I'm a big, uh, fan of late career Soderbergh. I really loved let them all talk. Uh, there's a lot that I really like about no sudden move, but I yeah. do think his, the thing that worked for him and let them all talk and haywire and Logan lucky of like, not really uh, ever raising uh, the 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 heart rate of his movies, right. but but like constant forward motion. I think kind of backfires here, where no sudden move is interesting and well acted, but it also just fi- feels like two hours or an hour and forty five minutes or whatever of uh, here's some stuff that happened, and it, it there's there like I said, there's a lot of great. Uh, great performances in it, but, um, and it's cleverly constructed, but not in a way that ever, uh, makes me, I never like, there's not anything like oceans 11 type or Logan lucky type where I'm like, Oh, like that's how they did that. It's like, right. right. Oh, okay. You know, I, I, I that works. But that's kind of how I felt. Like I, I didn't dislike no sudden move. It just like, uh, I feel like I, I could damn it why with faint praise by saying um, it's a nice way to kill some time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fun movie and it's very, you know, everybody in it is very reliable and they do what you need them to do. Um, and that's fine with me. You know, that's that's the nature of of watching any kind of genre movie. But I also like in those few deviations, like everything David Harbour related is, I think, great. That scene 
with him and his boss. Yeah. yeah. And his running monologue throughout it is something that you don't see in a film like this. Yeah. And I think it's so beautifully pulled off and hilariously and sadly at the same time. Yeah. Um, it's that, scenes like that. And those those moments are are what really sold me on it. Yeah, there's a guy. I mean, like um, he's great, and Amy Simons is is great, mm-hmm. um, and Noah Jupe as their son, because yeah. um, yeah. he, if you need a character of that age, he's the he's Noah Jupe is the right guy now. you go to. Yeah. Um, uh, also, love um, Brendan Fraser. Yes, yeah, uh, he's he's great. Um, John Hamm it really feel like I like John Hamm, but it just really feels like the movies in general have decided what type of character John Hamm plays. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is that type of character. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Amy Simons. I think I mentioned, I said this at the time. Yeah, you did. Cause I remember I, you told me about this line and then when it happened, I laughed Yeah, so, and she's like, I don't think that's the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, and what I love about it is that like, she says it in a very matter of fact way that I yeah. think works, but like, boy, if you could ever sum up like a, a noir gangster movie, it's basically that like anything yeah. that happens, like, I don't think it's the end of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay. Uh, uh, do you have one more? I have one more. Yes. And uh, finally got around to watching Pablo Lorraine's Spencer. And I don't know why I put it off. Like sometimes when something seems like it's getting so much awards attention, it, be- it starts to seem like inevitable to me. So I prioritize other stuff. Sure. You know, like, like I'll, I'll get to Spencer before, before we do our top 10 is kind of how I felt, but I guess I forgot that Pablo Lorraine's movies, they really work for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I found Spencer to, to be, uh, intoxicating and terrifying in, in, in many ways. Uh, I think there's, you know, when I think about Pablo Lorraine, I think there's a reason why you could point to no as being his breakthrough film. And I, and I wonder if that's because it's the most narratively concerned film that, that he's made. Um, well, you can make an argument for Neruda, but, uh, he's clearly way more interested just spending time inside people's heads, Mm -hmm. especially when those heads are not in a healthy place. Uh, And so, um, the, the, the plot or whatever of Spencer is not really that important. It's Christmas at Christmas with the Royals in 19. I don't know. I'm bad at this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what year. Um, um, but it's really just two hours inside the head of a woman having a nervous breakdown, uh, essentially. And Kristen Stewart's performance is, uh, is is top notch and um pablo lorraine's um often very unsubtle camera work really works f- for me um there's a lot of uh sort of uh somewhat symmetrical framing and and wide angle lenses not as wide as Trey's edward schultz uses in waves but on the wider side um, that are kind of, uh, distorting and, and, and they make things look bigger than they are, uh, which sometimes the, the, the thing that's bigger is Diana and sometimes it's, you know, a scarecrow or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, but uh, what I really want to um, point out, and again, I got to this movie so late that I'm like the last person in the world to point this out. Uh, Johnny Greenwood's music is fantastic. If you want to recreate the feeling of someone having a uh, terrifying mental episode, uh, Johnny Greenwood could do it. And he does it over and over again uh, in Spencer's. There are, there are parts um, that... They, they just work for me. Whereas I think if someone, cause I've seen some negative reviews of, of Spencer and I understand if someone is not there for this, it can all feel a bit histrionic. Hmm. Um, I don't uh, begrudge anyone having that opinion. I, I think that's a valid read of the movie, but also I think there's a, place for that and yeah. uh pablo lorraine happens to be especially good at it so put this up there with jackie and emma his last two films as um portraits of women in emotional crisis yeah and boy i yeah i haven't seen spencer yet i really wanted to and when i when i would see negative uh comments about it the, the way in which it w- they were negative only interested me more, especially being as big a fan of Jackie as I was. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. And also we haven't had West Anthony on in a while, but uh, I definitely would love to have him on and just talk about like sort of the state of modern film music. Mm. I think, you know, uh, speaking of uh, uh, Pablo Lorraine and Jackie, like Mika Levy, has been doing amazing things. Johnny Greenwood has been doing amazing things. And even somebody like Hans Zimmer, who's been around for a long time, yeah. I feel like has been pushed to new things for him uh, by by the uh, a newer generation of filmmakers. And it's just really exciting to, to see, or I guess to hear uh, rather. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay. Is it me or? Is yeah, it it's, you? It's, it's you now. Okay. Uh, I believe you have seen this, but now I don't remember. Uh, it is... Oh boy. Uh, Patsy Poncharoli's old Henry. Old Henry. Yeah. I saw this. Yeah. Um, A movie starring, you know, a, a a very serious Western starring Tim Blake Nelson. That was enough to get me because I, I love Tim Blake Nelson. I think he's a fascinating actor and I've seen interviews with him. He just also seems like a tremendously intelligent guy and the opportunity to see him as a non idiot, uh, who's also like not comedic, although there are some slightly comedic moments uh, from him in the film. Uh, that yeah. was very exciting to me. And um, I would say by and large, I really liked the movie, occasionally loved it. Uh, there f- for the first, you know, I don't know how long the movie is like a hundred minutes, I think maybe more. Oh, 99 minutes. Oh, I was a minute off. Damn it. Um, <laughs> but uh, for a good, like, 80 minutes, 75 to 80 minutes. I was like, okay, I, and don't get me wrong. The last, last few minutes are also pretty obvious. Um, it all felt very familiar. Um, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of unforgiven in there. There was a lot of, um, a lot of what? Sorry. Uh, unforgiven. Okay. Yeah. And a uh, lot sorry, of, my, my headphones came out. <laughs> I saw a lot of, ta- yeah, it, you were really tangled up over there. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of uh, three tend to Yuma in there, uh, sp- specifically in mm-hmm. regards to like our the main character's relationship to his son. Um, but that's okay. Uh, similar to something like No Sudden Move, like 
I'm fine when a, when a Western is revisionist or when it goes out of its way to be a little bit different, but I'm also fine when, when a Western just takes pleasure in, in the genre, which sticks with what works. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then there is a reveal towards the end of the film that does sort of change the way we, we look back on everything. And I think it does that in a way that feels organic and that I'm, I'm okay with. Um, And uh, yeah, by and large, I, I, I liked the movie uh, and, and you know, what? I really liked the movie. It's, it's not necessarily in my, one of my favorites, but I'm glad I saw it. Yeah. I enjoyed it while I was watching it and the, it has grown in my estimation because I have been like, Oh, it like, yeah, it definitely starts out as seeing, like you mentioned a serious Western, but it actually is a lot of fun. And yes. that, that reveal, which I'm not going to spoil for people. Right. I kicked myself for not getting it earlier. Yeah, when me did too. I got it. Okay. In the scene when he's talking with the guy and he gets up to like make coffee or something and he leaves his gun on the table. Yeah. That was the scene where I was like, Oh, I think I know what's going on here. Yeah. Uh, but there are things like, I don't want to spoil things. If you know certain things that I thought I knew, there are clues from the opening narration as to what is going on, but I, yeah, uh, I missed it in retrospect. Yeah, yeah. In retrospect, I was like, Oh, why did I not see that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the scene you're talking about and that, that beat, um, I misread it. I, I thought it's like, I thought it was similar to what it turned out to be, but from a different, a different side of it. Oh, okay. Um, so, uh, I like how we're talking yeah. around. This is fun. I think, yeah, it is fun, but this um, is a fun movie. It is. And, it, and you know what? I mean, at this point, you were talking about pig earlier at this point, there is an entire subgenre of older man who has removed himself from right. the world yeah. is tremendously capable. Uh, and then something pulls him back in. Yeah. Um, and this, you know, it, which is a, a sort of very much a Western idea that has been adopted into other genres and modernized. But uh, yeah, this definitely, you know, and that's the other thing. Liam Neeson could have played this character. <laughs> and the yeah. fact that it's Tim Blake Nelson is very exciting because he is someone that you do sort of underestimate. Yeah. Uh, we haven't even talked about how much fun Stephen Dorff is clearly having uh, <laughs> chewing, chewing the scenery. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Next up for me is a uh, three-hour-long Chinese documentary called All About My Sisters. And um, it's directed by uh, uh, Wang Qiong, uh, and she is one of the sisters of the family. It's, it's All About My Sisters, plural, but it's really about one sister. It's interesting. You know, um, a few years ago, there was that documentary, uh, One Child Nation, Yes, yes. And I feel like I saw another like short documentary called The One that it might have been nominated for an Oscar for short documentary. Maybe I can't remember. Um but it feels like the the one child the China Chinese one child policy we're now at a point where people who grew up under it are adults and are making movies mm-hmm. uh, about it. And that's what all of my sisters is. Um uh Basically, the the story is that this woman who made the movie, her uh, mother was pregnant. They were gonna like 
you know, the one child policy is it, it gets into like the malleability of it in some ways, but, um, anyway, like, like I mentioned, she has multiple siblings. She's not from a single child family, but basically her mother was pregnant when she was a girl, uh, a tiny girl. Um, and close to the end of her pregnancy, she became convinced that she was having a girl and they already had girls. They didn't want a girl. And so she attempted to have a very late term abortion. Mm. It didn't take, and the girl was born anyway. So the family abandoned the filmmaker's little sister, like dropped her off at like a public school or something. Yeah. She goes into the system, ends up getting adopted by the filmmaker's aunt and uncle, like the, her parents, one of her parents, like brother or sister in the same town. And everyone just like knows what, so like this girl grows up knowing that those are my parents. Like these people who are raising me are not my birth parents. Those are my birth parents. They gave me up. And what's it, what's interesting is like, that's such a fascinating story that I could see a superficial, like Netflix docuseries being made yeah. out of this, but this is, a documentary made from inside the family and um, very quickly, or at least quickly as a percentage of the runtime, like I said, it's three hours long, but less than we're less than halfway through before, like, all right, all that's been covered. We're not going to have, this is going to be one of those documentaries where there's like a new shocking reveal or twist, you know, thing. Uh, once the, that all that backstory has been covered, it's really just a documentary about, the fallout and about the way that these, this one big family, these two nuclear families sort of interact with one another and uh, the, the, the feelings that this, this girl whom the filmmaker calls her younger sister, um, uh, uh, just the, I forgot what I was going to say because I, I got distracted because I wanted to bring up something that uh, you've talked about. Clearly, I don't know if it's in China in general or just in this area, the uh, language and sensitivities around adoption that you've mm -hmm. talked about as the father of uh, uh, adopted boys is uh, not present in this movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, it's... Uh, uh, they don't use any of the like more accepted terminology or, yeah. or like, you know, she refers to the, the married couple who raised her from birth or from nearly birth as her aunt and uncle, because that's just what they are. Right. You know, even though you or I, I feel like would say like, no, those are, they adopted you. Those are your parents, but that's yeah. not uh, the way it is in this, in this town. It's a, a uh, really fantastic um, documentary. Uh, and this, I think, is a good place for us to take a quick break. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you 
with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Okay, we are back, and I am ready to talk about Tyler for the first time in over a month. Okay. I went to a movie theater. How exciting. Uh, I had, like, the Omicron thing had scared me off of, of the movies for for a while, but um, I had a day off of work because I took, to, I took days off to go to Sundance and then Sundance in person got canceled. Right. And then I didn't end up doing Sundance digital because like the Sundance virtual rather because of uh, things I'm not going to go into on the podcast, but mm. you know, uh, this is a very hectic time in me and my wife's lives. Uh, not necessarily for bad reasons, but it's a very busy time. So if anyone was wondering, why didn't David cover Sundance? Um, Sundance in person getting canceled was actually kind of fortuitous for me in a way. So anyway, but anyway, I had a Monday off of work and I was like, okay, I'm scared of Omicron or whatever. But if I go to see a 1 PM showing of parallel mothers on a Monday, (laughs) it's probably not going to be a, 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 a big barn burn. And I was right. There's like six people in the entire theater. Um, I'm surprised there were that many, to be honest with you. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's Parallel Mothers. It's it's Almodovar. It's it's great. Uh, I don't I don't really know what um, I've been talking so much. I'm, I'm I'm losing track of what to to say about it. But um, it I feel like Parallel Mothers is almost like as a title, almost feels like a parody of an Almodovar title because I feel sure. like like women in motherhood and mothers is like such a preoccupation, uh, in, in his movies. Yeah. And, uh, once again, I, without, I, cause this, this movie also has some sort of differently than old Henry, but it also has some things that are revealed as it goes on. So I don't want to get too in, in, into that, but, um, it's a very Almodovar way of confronting this sort of, idealistic way we tend to view mothers but not in a like livia soprano type of like this is a terrible mother way but just like a uh mothers are human beings like anyone else and sometimes they act out of their own self-interest we like to think of you know mothers as being uh, uh completely devoted to whatever their their children and, and selfless because this is a calling or whatever but they're still people and they, they, they fuck up or they act selfishly in the movie, and I, and I think it's a very Elmadovar, it's very Elmadovarian of of him to to the way he reserves judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I think that's that's been the case throughout his movies. Sometimes to the point where, like, I mean, there are there are Elmadovar movies where if they came out today, um, the online discourse would be so damning. Um, I'm glad that like time me up, time me down is not a new movie this, this year because, uh, um, yeah, look, the, the cancel culture would have a field day. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> do you think, do you think, uh, cause I, I've, I've only seen a handful of, uh, Almodovar films, uh, but one of them that I saw for which he won the Oscar for screenplay, I want to say was talk to her. And Big that's movie. when like, you know, characters horrible actions are pretty 
condemned within the, the film, uh, but the character is viewed. He's not sympathetic, but like he is, he is our lead and we do sympathize with him for a while before we fully realize what he is capable of. Um, I do want to, do you think that talk to her would be considered uh, too much for, for the modern? I, I mean, well, certainly I mean, there are people who seem to not, be able to handle any art that makes them uncomfortable or, sure. or, or doesn't align with how they already view the world. So there are some people. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know if talk to her is as troubling as something like time. You up, time you down. Right. Um, one thing I will say about parallel mothers, uh, a thought that I had, and I don't know, I don't know if this is true or if I'm just, because I'm, an American, it needed to be spelled out before I noticed it. But I'm not accustomed to seeing Almodovar grapple so directly with Spain's political history. Hmm. Uh, because there's the um, the whole way that Penelope Cruz's character gets pregnant in the first place is she has a fling with this guy whom she has reached out to as part of a charity, like a nonprofit to find and dig up, uh, mass graves from the civil war. And she's like, I'm from this small town. And like all of my, the older women, their husbands were like rounded up and shot and killed and dropped in, and then buried, in, uh, in this plot. And we want someone who knows what they're doing to come dig them up and try and give these women closure before they die. Um, and then she has a fling with the guy. That's how she gets pregnant. And like, I, uh, I, I, it felt, it's fascinating, but it, it also felt, um, uh, different to me from Almodovar's films, which, which, um, I feel like tend to be much more in the now, okay. uh, or in the present moment. Um, and, uh, so listeners, if t tell me I'm, I'm dumb and tell me that his movies have, uh, always had, had elements like that. It, it, it felt like a departure to me um but uh i guess it's the only kind of departure if you compare parallel mothers to pain and glory um it this one overall feels more almodovar because pain and glory was like autobiographical in a way that like we're not used to seeing from him uh but they're both they're both great movies uh, i should have one more before i toss to you if i'm yeah. rem remembering correctly um <clears throat> Okay, uh, I watched an Argentinian film that uh, is showing up on a lot of a certain type of film critics' best of uh, lists. It's called Azor. Uh, and uh, I, and <laughs> I feel like I want to avoid this description um, okay. beca because it's very commonplace, but sometimes it, it fits. Um, this movie is a vibe. Okay. It's such that like it's one of those movies that has a lot of like there's a lot of incident and there's a lot of plot. There's a lot of things happening in the movie. I also couldn't really tell you what happens in the movie. I know it's it takes place in Buenos Aires in I think 1980, and you've got a Swiss private banker coming to Buenos Aires to follow up on some deals that were in progress with his partner who's gone missing. And he finds out that his partner was like into some sort of shady gray area type of shit. 
but I don't really know what any of it means. I, I, I like, it really is just, it ha- is a movie that has a feeling of being like, a, a, um, like a political or financial thriller. And there's a lot of tension and there's a lot of great music and long, beautiful shots and furtive glances and, <laughs> and, and hushed conversations. And like, it's, it just has all the tone of this kind of like uh, uh slow burn, you know, uh, type of thriller. And that's enough for me. That worked. I don't care that like, by the end it was like, it was over and I was like, I don't really know what he did or didn't do there, but uh, that was a ton of fun to watch. And yeah. uh, I will mostly the, maybe the number one reason I love the movie uh, as much as I did is the clothing. It is impeccable everyone looks so fantastic in every scene uh in a way that i also like i I, it sold the period element i believe this is 1980 but i also believe this is 1980 among the very wealthy elite of of buenos aires and and switzerland um and i also love a movie where a main character speaks multiple languages Mm. so he's like he's from Geneva, he speaks French naturally, but he also is fluent in Spanish because he does work in Argentina, but then there are also scenes in English uh, as well. Uh, so yeah, very, very cool, uh, movie Azor, um, and a lot of fun to, to watch. It's on movie. If you have, if you have movie former sponsor, no, uh, they, they have too many good mov- movies yeah. on, on there is the thing, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately. Um, so yeah, that's how I watched it. Uh, okay, so next up for me, uh, once again, a film that I mentioned in the last episode is Paul Schrader's The Card Counter, um, which I I like Paul Schrader, as you know, and the stuff he explores tends to resonate with me, and he's definitely be, been on a guilt kick. Uh, I say that as though his earlier films uh, don't explore the concept of, of, of guilt, um, but this definitely is... I don't want to talk about it solely in this regard, but it definitely is a, a, a companion to first reformed um, similar character beats, uh, similar kind of ending in its own way. Um, and I, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of saying what it was, yeah. but, uh, but yeah. And just this idea of Oscar Isaac playing a character who has such a, specifically horrifying history uh and that's something that i really like is that like yeah there's nothing generic about his uh about his experience about his his choices um in the midst of of a story that could be and and at times is a little bit generic by design by the character's design Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like he stays in hotels he dresses, he also dresses impeccably. I think Oscar Isaac looks really good throughout the film. Um, but you know, he actually goes, he, he, he settles into a hotel room and then goes and proceeds to make it more nondescript, yeah. uh, you know? And so he, he really is just living <laughs> as, as a kind of ghost, uh, in this world. Um, because he clearly does not feel like he deserves to be a part of it. Um, and, I think that's such, it definitely fits with, you know, Adam resurrected. It, it fits with first reformed. Um, 
And it's just so interesting to see Paul Schrader just dip into this theme of, of self-forgiveness or the lack thereof and, and the, the damage that can be done when you don't forgive yourself. Um, I think there is a tendency and this, this definitely fits in with stuff that I, that, that resonates with me. I'd say something like Manchester by the sea is similar. Um, you know, we have this tendency to feel like if you don't forgive yourself, there's an almost perverse nobility to that. We've seen so many uh, noble heroes in films and, and, and art uh, who are running from their own demons and maybe not even running from them, but, uh, but in fact, quite the opposite. I guess they're holding on to their demons because they feel like they don't deserve to let them go, but that blinds them to the opportunities for kindness um, or how exactly to relate to humanity. Because when you're only focusing on guilt, whether it be somebody else's or yours, uh, that will color the way you approach the world. And I think that absolutely comes through in the card counter. Um, and the fact that all of this is happening, you see him try to get some type of redemption through another character. You see him uh, get a romantic interest that he doesn't really let himself have because of course he doesn't deserve it. Um, and all of this in the midst of living a, a life that movies have told us is really cool. And it's like, but you see underneath that everything is just a, just a veneer and that the, the, uh, the distance with which he approaches his life is not a function of him being cool. It's a function of him being pretty dead inside uh, and yet, <laughs> and yet still roiling with emotion. There, there's just so much, there's just so much going on in the film. I think visually it's gorgeous. I think the performances are great, all that sort of thing. But um, it, it just astonishes me how Paul Schrader is able to just do this over and over again. And even the way I say that sounds reductive. It always, it always feels fresh to me. You know, first reform certainly felt fresh mm -hmm. to me. This feels fresh. And it just feels like he's doing something in a way. He reminds me of like David Mamet back in like the, the, the nineties and two thousands where it's just like, whether it be the mainstream or just film in general is doing, they're just doing what they always do. And he's just doing his own thing, completely his own thing outside of the mainstream. He attracts good actors. He gives them great stuff to do. Uh, and yet it's, it's like he's got his own little film industry, completely independent of anybody else. And he's just going to do what works, what, what resonates with him and works best for him. And, and, it, and it resonates with me as well. I really love the card counter. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um... I think uh, uh, I know I talked about a movie journal a while back uh, because I saw it back before Christmas, I think. Um, but yeah, I liked um, uh, the thing you were saying about the, the, how he makes his hotel, his motel rooms even more nondescript. He's turned his life into a movable prison. Mm -hmm. He's like always in still a prisoner wherever he goes, but also uh, there's Paul Schrader is all the things you said, but he's also a, um, a very thoughtful, I think, political filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the card counter has um, a lot to say about personal culpability and institutional culpability and that the two are not mutually exclusive. Right. Um, but uh, what I didn't say last time 
about Oscar Isaac is that this is, I'm so glad that he's in this movie because I like, I, I feared after like he was, I've already forgotten his name. Poe Dameron. Is that the guy? Like that. I was like, Oh, okay. So he's just going to play charming leading men now, or maybe switch it up and play charming bad guys, like an ex ex machina, which I like, but, um, uh, uh, I'm glad, I'm so glad that he is, that he's in the card counter and he's doing this kind of, um, this kind of work. That's, that's not as, that's not as about his charm. Like he intentionally has to, uh, mute or dampen his charms uh, a lot of the time. And I, I like that. And I have not seen scenes uh, from a marriage, the, the, which is on HBO, I believe. Uh, But yeah, but his, uh, I like that. I mean, it's nothing against him. I think he's very good as, as Poe Dameron. And I think he was great in Ex Machina, but, uh, but yes, I, in a way, I'm glad that Poe didn't catch on quite so much as some of the other characters, uh, because I think just in our minds, it allows him to just continue being him as opposed to like, you know, I think like a a Daisy Ridley in the minds of a lot of people is, is Ray and maybe John Boyega is Finn a little bit. Uh, whereas I think, uh, Oscar Isaac managed to maintain his Oscar Isaacness. I still have yet to see Daisy Ridley in anything, but a Star Wars movie. I think Unless you count me, like I heard, like she narrated a documentary that I saw. But other than that, I, I've never seen her in anything. I think the only other thing I saw was um, Murder on the Orient Express. She was in that. Right. And, uh, and I thought she was very good. She's a very charming uh, screen presence, uh, as is Oscar Isaac. And I do think that he, he is still char- charismatic in this film in a very specific way. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I do like that the film is willing to allow him to be cool and draw us in, in that regard. Uh, Only to show like, yeah, we've seen, (laughs) we see flashbacks of, of him being a more extroverted sort of, there's going to sound weird, just sort of like a regular person who like laughs and smiles. And then you realize (laughs) what he's laughing and smiling at. You're like, Oh, you know what? Maybe the cool thing is maybe this, uh, this dead inside thing is better. Uh, yeah, it's boy. What a marvelous film. All right. Uh, next up for me is a a documentary, um, directed by Alonso Ruiz Palacios. It's called a cop movie. Uh, and it's, I, I, I think I talked, and now I can't remember the name of the movie about the, um, the retirement community in, uh, in Florida. What was the name of that documentary? Mm, I don't remember. Oh man. It was, it was called like heaven something. Oh shoot. Or was it Haven? No, I think it's heaven. It's something heaven. This isn't even the point of what I'm saying okay. at all, but now it's just by, by bothering me that i can't remember the name of that documentary but anyway um the point that i'm trying to make is some kind of heaven oh anyway uh the point that we're trying to make is that like i'm an art house snob and mainstream like regular human interest documentaries bio documentaries they're not doing it for me anymore but also i feel like 
art documentary is becoming like a type as well. And so sometimes there are places, the movies like, I, I didn't dislike some kind of heaven, but a part of me was like, I got my eye on you. Like I ended like this, uh, this style is maybe a little bit self-conscious. And so a cop movie has a thing that reminds me of one of the better, uh, documentaries of last year procession, which has like mixes the real people in the reenactment to together a cop movie is a documentary about two mexico city cops except he interviewed all of them or interviewed both of them and then he has actors playing them both in reenactments but then also in the interview segments they're just acting out the interviews he's already had and the movie is good and i think is very insightful about the relationship between the police force and the people of Mexico city. But I also am not sure that it's conceit. Like if it had just had the actors and done the reenactments, which are very good and it's good to have actors to, to do those. If it had just done those, but then the interview parts and stuff were just like a regular documentary. Right. I don't think that would have lessened the movie in any way i'm not sure that conceit really brings much more because i should also say the two actors who are playing the two real people actually enrolled in the police academy and that becomes a part of the movie where they like you know allowed to film in the police academy but they like film themselves on their phones a little bit mm-hmm. um and i'm not sure that that adds that much in terms of uh, like i guess I'm going to be like uh, Joe Lunchpail here and say to a couple of like a couple of professional actors are not going to represent the average person's view of the police force. So like the way that an actor has his opinion about the police changed or confirmed by enrolling in police Academy is not actually that revelatory to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, that's me. All right. I'm going to take off my blue collar now and, and go back to being a regular snob, uh, as opposed to a regular, you know, ham and agar. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's a cop movie. Oh, and then next. Oh boy. The, another movie that like, certain types seem to put on their list and it seems like this should be my kind of movie. It's directed by Valdemir Johansson. Okay. The movie is called lamb. Ah, and I was, I was definitely intrigued by it. I mean, it's intriguing and maybe you'll like it, but to me it felt like I couldn't, I had to stop myself from laughing at it because mm. it's so, like it feels like a parody of like serious weird like yeah. art house wannabe movie it's about like um new year pass and some dude um new year pass and Hilmir snare goodness play a couple who run a pig uh pig farm a sheep farm um in where's this movie from norway Iceland. Sorry. Yeah. Iceland. Um, and then one day a, one of their sheep gives birth to a 
half sheep, half human sort of hybrid they decide to take and raise as their own. But the way that everyone reacts to everything being weird, not like, oh my God, what are we going to do? But just like by staring at one another seriously, like, mm. like th- that's, that's the mood throughout the entire, entire movie. Um, and I just kept, I never found it anything less than ridiculous. Uh, so I can't, I can't recommend lamb. It feels like I said, it feels like a parody of a type of movie. It feels like if someone with a lot of money wanted to make a parody of an a 24 release, sure. um, which land is not, or I think is. it is, I think it might it be a 24. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think you're right. Uh, yeah, it feels like a parody. All right. So then finally, by the way, I want to observe the fact that you're, you're working your way through all the farm animals. You watched pig. Yep. You watched lamb. I'm trying and to also, there any. There, well, at AFI Fest, there was cow. Oh my um, gosh. Which is the only one of the three that I actually liked. Okay. <laughs> um, but I don't think that one has, cow has not been officially released in the U.S. It just has played festivals. I was lucky enough to see it at AFI Fest and, and loved it. But um, next up for me is, uh, I guess, another documentary called The Village Detective, A Song Cycle. And this is directed by Bill Morrison, who is, um, I mean, I guess, talk about a big fish in a small pond. He's like the biggest name in American sort of experimental film, probably. Um like I love the idea that there's probably like a struggling experimental filmmaker who's like yeah. fucking Bill Morris and thinks he's hot shit. Uh, <laughs> Such a sellout. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but his, his thing, he made, he made Decasia, he made Dawson city frozen time. Um, his thing is decayed celluloid that, um, uh, and, and, seeing what it looks like to run it through a scanner or whatever, and just watch it in its weird state where blobs appear and disappear and people's faces get completely obscured or they, their bodies change shape. Or it's just, uh, that's his, that's his main thing. Uh, and so the village detective starts off with, um, uh, and now I can't remember another Iceland. Oh, wow. Iceland connection. Uh, uh, Icelandic fishermen find a reel of film at the bottom of the ocean that the, like he, des- he describes the like mineral content of that part of the ocean and how it actually like preserved it somewhat. Like it didn't preserve it in the sense that it didn't like disintegrate, but it's still all fucked up and like covered in rust and stuff. Uh, and it turns out to be, you'd think, I mean, like you think, Oh, wow, there's a discovery. They found some like long lost film. It turns out to be a movie called the village detective, a Soviet movie that, like there are already like there are already copies of this movie. It's not like a, it's not a lost film or, or anything, but the versions we're watching for the most part are from this, this footage, but he uses it to um, make a documentary that I think for, for Bill Morrison, especially if you complain it, compare it rather to something like Decasia, which is um, fully without like a, narrative um actually has a, a more standard form the the star of the detective was a, a soviet actor named uh, mikhail ivanovich zarov and so the discovery of this copy of the village detective uh serves as a jumping off point to a movie that's actually kind of about the career of this 
Soviet actor, um, Mikhail, Mikhail Zarov. Uh, so, um, but it's still Bill Morrison and it's still colored by all of this strange, bewitching footage of completely decayed, distorted film being run, you know, like, like a regular film would be. And so, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating to watch. It's not my favorite Bill Morrison, but, uh, it's quite good. All right. Uh, you're up next. Okay. So, uh, this is a film you've seen and didn't care for. I watched it and also didn't care for it. I don't know why I watched it. Uh I didn't think I was going to, I didn't think I was going to like it. And I was, uh, and that is Aaron Sorkin's being the Ricardos. Um, you could have watched a hero while you were on prime. I, I know. I, I, I took a, I could have gone one way and I went another and I was also, you could have watched between, a net. I could have. And also I was, I don't know why I was curious about tender bar, uh, mostly just because of Ben Affleck, but, um, yeah. but yeah, so I wound up watching this, I think, cause I don't know why I was tired. I think I just threw on something that seemed like it would be light. And isn't it interesting that like, that of all the of all the films that you just mentioned, like and various other movies that are available on Prime, like I was looking, I, I wanted something kind of light, so I threw on an Aaron Sorkin film. Yeah, who certainly this is one of his one of his lighter movies uh, or you know projects, um, but uh, you know there was a time I think when something he was connected with could be seen as kind of dense that you wouldn't want to watch while you're tired because you're, you're trying to keep track of a lot of things, a lot of characters or an intricate plot or something like that. Um, It's a lot of words, a lot of, (laughs) it's what it is now. Um, and yeah, uh, what I will say is that like, he is still a pretty good writer and he still has his moments and a cast this good is also going to have some moments. Um, the, the best compliment I can give it, and it's, I would venture to say a backhanded compliment is that I was really interested in the relationship between uh, Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem as these characters. The problem is at no point did I think these characters were Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. I think both of those actors are doing a fine job um, and, and have a lot of chemistry. I, I specifically thought Javier Bardem did a good job of, of creating uh, a very charismatic uh, type of character, but the, the script and just what is happening in the story, not to mention, not to mention the conclusion of the film just over and over, just hit me wrong. And it seemed like the kind of thing that if this were directed by someone else, I genuinely think that person would have said like, okay, we either need to tighten this up or, you know, tonally, I'm going to try and do something different. Like, for example, (coughs) you know, uh, David, I'm no communist, you know, but, um, you know, the ending of this film, because they're Lucian and Desi, they have, they have a lot of things going on in this one week. And uh, one of them is that uh, Lucille Ball has been like accused of being a communist in the midst of, you know, the, the, the McCarthy era. Um, and at the, at, at the end of the film in front of a, of a live audience, Desi goes out and essentially 
very effectively clears her name and it's a big triumph for them because this could actually have ended their career. Okay. Fair enough. Here's the thing. I think a better filmmaker and a better writer would have been able to allow the characters to have a triumph while still decrying the fact that this had to happen at all. Uh, You know, because when it comes right down to it, like, you know, I may not like the idea of communism in general, especially the way it has, it was being executed at the time uh, in certain places, Mm. but there's, there's nothing wrong in the United States with being a communist. So like, now, if she's not one and she's being accused of one, okay, that's then you're just clearing your name. But at the same time, it, it's almost as though the film was buying into the idea. It's like, she's not a communist. Isn't that great? It's like, uh, yeah, she's not. But you're a you're putting J spoilers, everyone. You're putting J Edgar Hoover in a position to be a hero. Uh, you're also just it doesn't feel like the film was 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 lamenting the the situation the the larger situation that they were a part of it was lamenting their specific situation which is understandable but i just i i it made me feel like aaron sorkin is just not certainly as a director i just don't think he's skilled enough to be able to make the movie bigger uh, about anything bigger but I think he was trying to. It's it was a very frustrating ending to me. I I don't want to be in the position of defending being the the Ricardo's movie that I don't think is good. But I do think that like the there earlier in the film, Lucy protests Desi Desi's idea to do what he does, and then yes. he ends up doing it because it's the only thing that works. So I think the movie, I think the screenplay is more aware of that dichotomy than I think you're giving it credit for but 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 that could speak to aaron sokin aaron sorkin's shortcomings as a director that he's not able to tonally get across what's what's in the screenplay yes i think uh, when it comes right down to it because i didn't mind trial of chicago seven but i think aaron sorkin has always been a writer and should not have started directing because i because i think in somebody else's hands this film could have been more effective in the stuff that we're talking about and yeah and unsurprisingly in those moments when it is directly addressed verbally especially i i like that scene of like you know desi does have a very specific background and a very specific relationship to communism uh yeah and i yeah. and i like that it allows him to have have his moment as well um those moments are fine it really is just the tone uh, yeah it speaks to tone and a a better director would be able to say things without actually having to say them. And Aaron Sorkin seems unable to do that. All right. Um, moving on, we're on the home stretch here. We've only got a f- uh, few more left. So um, I'm going to talk about a, uh, I guess the official Chadian submission for the Oscars this year, uh, a movie called Lingi, L-I-N-G-U-I. Um, I guess the full English title is Lingi, the sacred bonds, but that's just a definition of what the term means. Mm-hmm. Lingi means sacred bonds. Uh, in, like in the movie, when the characters use the word Lingi, the subtitle says sacred bonds. So 
I don't know. I don't know if the movie is called Lingi or Lingi, the sacred bonds, but anyway, okay. uh, it takes place in, in, in Chad and it's about a single mother and her teenage daughter. And the daughter is, uh, is basically about a mother helping her daughter get an abortion in a country where it's entirely, uh, illegal. Um, but that's, that's the, that's the plot. But, um, the story is more about, um, a mother and daughter coming to terms with one another as, as people. And, uh, this mother is not that much older than her daughter. She was young when, when she, when she had a kid and you can see this sort of tension between like her needing to be a mother, but also she's still a young woman. Mm -hmm. And like, sometimes she comes across differently when she's like with her friends, as opposed to with her, with, with her daughter. And so I think the, the, the story of the film is about a mother and daughter uh, coming together and seeing each other as they actually are. Um, it uh the movie does a lot with what would would seem to be a a low budget there's only a handful of characters and it all seems to take place within like a two or three block radius in in this uh village or neighborhood or i think neighborhood is the term that they use um uh and uh yeah it's a very human film it's also a very feminist film about women who are self-sufficient in in many ways um the mother makes her living basically she buys used tires cuts them up and then makes these uh standing like cook stoves which i had to look up or like a traditional way of cooking in in chad and in other parts of africa around there um and she sells them on the side of the road and and so the movie like opens with this woman like slicing up rubber from a used tire it's clearly very like exacting and then we, we get this whole process of her making the stove and going out and, 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 and selling them. Uh, it's, a um, uh, yeah, a, a, a portrait of womanhood that I think is, um, very uplifting and touching. That's Lingi. Uh, the next movie is a, another Chinese documentary. This one is called Ascension. And this is another, I guess, another form of like the art doc in that it doesn't have a narrative through line. Um, it is a bunch of scenes that I think uh, it's actually like I, the, the title that came up at the beginning was like MTV documentaries, which kind of surprised me, but like, I, I get it because it's like a very brightly colored movie that is often depicting things that are feel kind of, off especially probably to a, a western audience that feel off and also very colorful there's like shots the uh if you look at like the the key art of the of the movie it's like an overhead shot of like a water park where all of these people are in identical pink and yellow inner tubes and so you're seeing like, it's almost like you're looking down at a bowl of cereal, except it's like water and, mm. and it, it's a, it, it's very colorful. Um, and, and has a lot of those like points of view that are outside of what humans can normally, uh, uh, see it. But it, I, I found it very effective because it's a portrait of 
a Chinese way of life that is about like economic climbing and capitalism, which is obviously not like China's supposed to be a communist country and it officially is, but also it's a, an increasingly consumerist and wealthy country. And so you've got basically a lot of people. I, I think the movie's point of view, and then like I keep coming back to the title Ascension is it's like people trying to get higher than where they are to get to the top. But it's also a kind of a cynical movie saying like, you want to be at the top of this. This is like an increasingly empty culture. Um, because when you've got like a, uh, a Titan of industry or whatever, like giving a speech and, 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 and talking about how, uh, it is his hope, like as a Patriot that China consumes, like grows to consume at the rate that Americans do that, that like, we need to be able to challenge America on the scale of consumption. (laughs) Uh, and it's so a that sort of like lofty goal is kind of an interesting is, metric there yeah yeah it's it's what the movie seems to be uh observing like often from a distance non-judgmentally in many ways uh but also kind of kind of smirking at or or shaking his head at um it's i i, I really enjoyed it um and you could also like it, it's like a very insightful movie, but it's also the kind of thing that I can imagine like someone could get high and watch because it's, uh, it's a lot of beautiful and weird imagery. There's a whole section of workers building like real dolls, like mm-hmm. sex dolls, uh, at, a um, in, in a factory. And that's like, it just never stops being surreal, <laughs> you know? Uh, all right. Uh, you're up next. Now, real quick, I will tell a, a story. Um, uh, in 2017, uh, Jen and I traveled to various places in Asia, including Beijing. And uh, we were, you know, in the, in the middle of the city. And, you know, you have just, just from people, just sort of the way people talk about uh, a major communist country, I think we're still, I think we still think in terms of like, oh, the Soviet Union decades and decades ago where like, oh, people are standing in line for, you know, bread and stuff like that. Meanwhile, uh, what I saw was, this is my own interpretation, a country that was trying so hard to appeal, uh, to appear like super capitalist. So much so, there was a giant mall across the street from another giant mall. And they had the same stores in them. And I was like, what is the purpose of this? Yeah. And we went, we were curious. So like we went inside one and it was a lot of people in there, you know, buying stuff. We went to the other one, lots of people in there. I was like, how, how do you even decide which one to go into? (laughs) It was really, it, it just totally flew in the face of like, of just the way China is, is presented. Uh, and it's like, yeah, it really is a fascinating, um, this fascinating combination of of sensibilities. But anyway, well, I feel like between all of my sisters in Ascension, both movies I really like. I feel like I've done a lot of like talking shit about China on this episode. Sure. I, I've never been there, so I can't. 
I don't have a leg to stand on. All I have to, all I have is these movies. I did. I've, I'm sure I have also told about my uniquely communist China experience where uh, we were going to go into the forbidden city, but it was actually closed because Donald Trump was going to be visiting right. that day. Right. And so we were all standing uh, outside of it and truly it was forbidden to us, David. And uh, a Japanese cameraman and reporter uh were there and they came up to uh my friend and i and asked us like hey you know what do you what do you think about uh about the forbidden city being closed and all that sort of thing so we were giving them answers and we saw a couple of police officers like come up to this reporter and camera crew and then we turn around and they're gone like they're all gone wow and i was like oh boy like, I guess they weren't allowed to have that camera there and ask wow. questions. It was, it was surreal. It was, it really was. I mean, I didn't feel like we were in danger or anything, but I felt like someone was in danger. Um, yeah. And uh, it was, it was very much, it frankly seemed like something out of a movie. Um, so uh, I will say the, the one rewatch for me was, uh, is Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, uh, which is the fourth film. Okay. In the Mission Impossible series, uh, directed by Brad Bird. That's one of the things that really struck me when I when I first saw it. Is like uh, he's done a, he's done other live action films since then, but uh, like oh, this is a guy who came up in animation, but he made The Incredibles, which has some of the best action sequences I've ever seen. Uh, and he, I don't know if you've seen it or not. He mm-hmm. he handles these sequences incredibly well because some of them are straightforward action but just as many if not more of them are like these really quiet suspense sequences where the characters have to be undetected and i like that the film delivers on both and the more i think about it you know we talk about like oh why won't you know why won't hollywood just let uh certain franchises die and i think for the most part uh certain whatever franchises uh, they are, you know, whether it be Ghostbusters or, or DC or whatever it is. Um, I think they might benefit from like, let's give it some breathing room and maybe revisit it later. Mission impossible has been going strong. Mm-hmm. Like the first one's pretty good. Second one is a bit of a misstep. Third is solid. And then fourth, fifth and sixth, they're all really, really good consistently. <laughs> um, and I think it probably, you know, as they're different directors, I think it speaks to Tom Cruise and his, the, the amount of control he has over them. But, uh, but yeah, uh, Jen and I, after this, we started watching the fifth one, which is uh, directed by Christopher McQuarrie. It's uh, Rogue Nation. And that might be my favorite of the bunch. But in watching this, it's like, it's just so, it's everything that you want from a grown-up kind of action movie you know it's it's right that in my mind as far as sequences this movie and and so many of these other so many of the other mission impossible movies like they're right there with something like raiders of the lost ark which is like the gold standard oh, wow. of yeah. having like uh one sequence after another fully realized um and you know with this one there's they go to the top of i don't remember the name of the of the building in dubai like the tallest building in the world the burj khalifa yes oh well done um and the stuff they do with that 
Jen was like, I don't think I can, cause she'd seen it before, but so she knew it was coming up. She was like, I don't think I can watch this. This mm-hmm. is causing me anxiety because Tom Cruise has to be like stuck to the outside of it. Yeah. And uh, it's so, and that's, you know, that's all about suspense. There's no action there, strictly speaking. Um, but it's, it's just as breathtaking as any of the chases that we would go on to see. It's a, it's a great movie. And, and, you know, we're probably going to watch the fifth one and then the sixth one. I'm not going to talk about those because I've, I've seen them more recently, but this, I just wanted this to use this as an opportunity to talk about like the series in general and how like, it's just consistently one of the more reliable franchises out there. Uh, all right. Well, I am going to talk next about, uh, I, I wish I'd, um, seen this movie before i submitted my uh bp's nominations because mm. i actually would have had um uh more than a couple to to submit for animated film i saw dash shaw's crypto zoo okay um now you tabulated the results it didn't get nominated did, it, did anyone nominate crypto zoo at uh, all you know what i think someone might have um yeah. it sounds familiar um, um i can i can look it up right now no, that's, you know. okay um but uh yeah so it's uh it takes place in sort of an alternate version of the past it's like uh, late 60s early 70s but um cryptids you know crypt like uh you know your bigfoots and your loch ness monsters and that sort of thing uh are all real but very rare and there are two different teams of people hunting them down one to help protect them and one who's just like a game hunter type uh but um so that's what happens in the movie but the tone of the movie is like weirdly slow and surreal and the style of the animation feels very hand-drawn and 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 tactile uh the the score is by a guy named John Carroll Kirby, who's like a record producer. Uh, and it's so great. It feels like, it feels like the kind of music. Um, do you remember in fire walk with me, that long scene at one eyed Jacks or not at one eyed, or is it at the, it's, it's at, um, what's the bar in, in twin peaks. I can't remember what it is now. Um, it's oh, called man, like I... the double deuce or something like that. I can't remember. Anyway, um, that very long scene in fire walk with me where the music is like so loud that everything's subtitled and it's like repetitive over and over. And it has that sort of like low groove, like sinister, like groove type of, uh, bluesy nature to it. The music in crypto zoo is, is often like that. It's, uh, it's, I still like have it, in my head and that feeling from watching that uh, a couple nights ago. So, uh, yeah, CryptoZoo, um, wish I'd seen it earlier. It's one of the better animated films of 2021. And the last film I watched is a, now the words direct to video don't really mean anything anymore, but this is a direct to video type of movie. Uh, it's called hell hath no fury. Uh, and it is a sort of world, world war two, uh, action thriller, uh, suspense thriller, I guess. Um, basically it starts in 1941 and there's a French woman who's in love with a German SS officer. And, uh, they have a plan to steal, uh, 
some Nazi gold. Um, and then it cuts three years later, she's, uh, been imprisoned and then she's been let out of prison after the fall, uh, after the end of like the war's ending and, um, French women who consorted with the Germans, this is, you've seen this in other movies and documentaries were, uh, uh, humiliated and had their heads shaved and had swastikas like painted on their foreheads. And, and so she's having that happen to her and she tells some Americans like, save me, get me away from these people and I'll take you to where some Nazi gold is. And so, uh, they go to retrieve the gold and things don't exactly go swimmingly. There's, uh, some French people at the, it's the gold's hidden in the cemetery. There's some French people in the cemetery who, don't want these Americans or this French collaborator coming to get it. There's also still Nazis or German soldiers out in the countryside and stuff who maybe haven't quite given up yet. It's a, like a, a fun, definitely very solid, uh, uh, thriller, the kind of, it feels like a movie for dads. Um, but in the best, in the best way, uh, I it's, you know, not gonna, it's not, uh, tearing up the charts for me or anything, but, uh, I quite like that it. it's directed by, I got, he's directed a bunch of movies, but he's also a stunt man and stunt coordinator. And m- many of the actors in the movie are also stuntmen and, uh, pays off. Uh, one of them, uh, the guy who plays the SS officer is, um, his name's Daniel, Daniel Bernhardt, I think is his name. Something like that. He's, oh, uh, yeah, I know who that is. Yeah. He's in John wick. Um, yeah. and, and then also what- in, uh, a, a big, uh, a very popular movie, from uh, on MST3K called uh, Space Mutiny. He's the lead of that. Oh, is what year is that from? Late, uh, like late nineties. I think it's like the okay. most recent movie that they that they. Yeah, I was going to say because he's not on. that old. Yeah, um, I think he's. If I'm remembering correctly, he's also the guy whose legs Harley Quinn breaks at the beginning of uh, Birds of Prey. I think that's right. I, I, I think that's him. Yeah. Um, anyway, and then one of the French uh, actors is a, a, a stuntman named Dominic something whom I recognize, like, not just as an actor, I actually, Dominic Vandenberg, he was one of the stuntmen on Beowulf, a movie that I was a PA on way back in 2005. And I was like, oh, that's dumb. I remember him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, you pulled out your phone, you texted him and you said like, hey, Dom, I'm watching uh, <laughs> Hell Hath No Fury. Well done. Uh, all right. You should have one more and then we should wrap up. I do. Uh, I went to see Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza, uh, which I'm still working on, to be honest with you. It is. But I don't know if I should be because I really liked it and occasionally loved it. And there are, you know, it's very episodic and some things are some things work better for me than others, but even the ones that work less are still really effective for me um and i'm still working on like okay what does this all add up to um and i think it's one of those things like am i should i just force myself to just take this completely at face value and just be and just allow it to be a really fun and funny movie about these two people who are in love with each other but keep missing each other or not allowing themselves to be in love with each other for you know various i'd say somewhat legitimate reasons Um, you know but uh it's like am i is it you know because it's paul thomas anderson am i looking for more there when maybe i shouldn't be maybe i should just be 
sitting back and just enjoying it and letting my enjoyment of the moment wash over me um, because and it I, certainly was when I was watching it. And I would say that's absolutely the way to watch it. And I think like the something more when you let the movie happen and you let that it's yearning and it's emotions take over, like what more is there than that? Yes, exactly. That, that was the thing that I was saying is like, wait, can't that be enough? Yeah. You, you pretentious asshole. Yeah, um, I think it is. And and it's not as though it's not very much. Like it's there you get such a strong sense of these characters. Uh I do think that is much more Alana Himes movie um yeah. than than uh Cooper Hoffman's. Um not to suggest he is bad, he is wonderful. Yeah. I I did not for whatever reason, I think because I imagined him being like sort of like an awkward 15 year old turns out. No, he's, he's tremendously capable and, and sort of uses that as his, as his personality, the way a 15 year old would do. Um, and she's at a, a later stage in her life, but she's still trying to find her identity. Uh, and I think she's really marvelous. And, and I like how many people are, are, sort of infatuated with her, but for their own reasons, like very little of it has to do with her. Whereas uh, Gary Valentine's infatuation, infatuation with her does seem to be mostly about her. And I, that seems to be sort of what she comes to realize over the course of the film. And so just from, from the standpoint of just this, just being a really interesting character study, but not having the vibe of what we usually asso associate with character studies, um, it, it's so much fun. You get such a strong sense of place. All the, all the like cameos are, are tremendously fun. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it's nominated for a, a whole, a whole bunch of BPs. And I think it deserves all of them. Not to, not uh, the, the nominations. I mean, um, both right. Bradley Cooper and Harriet Sansom Harris are nominated, uh, in the Bruce McGill award, uh, category. And uh, I feel like the, that entire category could just be built, uh, could just be propped yeah. up with Tom Waits and, and Sean Penn and just these various uh, various other people. So, um, yeah, I, I really, really liked it. Uh, and I think I, I think I love it. I just need to get out of my own way and just let the movie be yeah. essentially accept the movie for what it is rather than see it purely you know, that's the downside of, of being an auteurist, you know, like you see everything through, like I instinctively see everything through the filter of something like a phantom thread or the master or something like that. And, you know, there's so much to, to unpack in those movies. And it's not that there isn't anything to unpack. It's just a different kind of thing. Um, and I just need to let myself, I just need to, you know, much like the characters in the movie, I need to accept the film for what it is rather than all this other stuff that I'm bringing to it. And uh, and I think the more I'm able to do that, the more I will love it.